0: Welcome to season three of Voices of Value, where Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos continue their conversations with high achieving guests who share their personal stories and more importantly, the lessons they've learned from their journey. Whether it's Olympians sharing the roadmap that took them to a gold medal, professional sports people taking you inside their mindset, business leaders revealing their success strategies or everyday people sharing life hacks, you can be sure you'll find value simply by joining the discussion with your hosts, Peter and Rick.
1: Hi and welcome to Voices of Value. This is PD Kakos with my good friend Rick Rushton. And um, as we continue to bring to the microphone voices of absolute value, Rick, we've got someone pretty special here today, haven't we?
2: We do, mate. And we've talked about leadership throughout many of season one and two. And today we've got a real walking, breathing, living example of leadership. Someone who's played uh, cricket at the highest level has Captains sides from a very young age, and uh, if you know anything about cricket captains, they're different to just about every other sports captain on the planet. They don't just toss the coin and call heads or tails; they end up running the show. They're the chief strategist. They're keeping a track of so many things, and somewhere in between there, they've got to perform for what they're picked to do, which is the bat, bowl, or in our guest's um, case, Pete, both of those things. So, on behalf of our Loyal subscribers, Cameron White. We say thank you for making the time to be with us while you're on a bit of of end-of-season holiday. Thanks for being with us.
3: (laughs) That's all right. No worries, fellas. It's good to be
2: on the show how strange is it that we're talking just finishing up cricket seasons where for authenticity Pete we're recording this on the, the grand final eve for premier cricket and uh, this will be live in the new week where the minor grand final um uh, bear i'm not going to suggest that your side that you captain wasn't <laughs> but uh, that's why you're on there able to have a bit of a holiday with the wife and kids but uh, what a strange time we live in but uh, cricket finals in Premier Cricket in April, when the AFL round is into round five, it's kind of a crazy example of the year we've just come out of, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. It was one of the longest cricket seasons I can uh, remember, especially here in Victoria. So uh, I'm sure win, lose, or draw uh, on the weekend, all the three Melbourne sides, the seconds, thirds, and 4th And thanks thanks for alluding to the the first, uh, gassing it up there in the first week of the finals and uh, you know, missing it out.
2: But um, yeah, still got three teams in with the mighty uh, Melbourne Cricket Club down at the Albert there. There we go, mate. And I'll be there front and centre cheering on uh, our son. But so most importantly, mate, it's fair to say you've got some great results over your career, which we want to tap into. Growing up in East Gippsland, uh, a boy from Bairnsdale, was it the normal growing up period there where, you know, crunchy kids, they love footy, they love cricket, they love being outdoors, they love sport. Obviously, Bairnsdale's not far from the water there as well. Um, Was it that sort of upbringing for you?
3: Yeah, well, it's probably a, a pretty traditional Australian upbringing, I think. Yeah, uh, footy and footy and cricket, basketball, all the sports. Um, you know, friends and family, whether it was school or you know through the old man in the backyard sort of thing. So it was, uh, it was probably yeah, pretty stock standard sort of uh, upbringing. I guess you'd say throwing a bit of you know fishing and a few other outdoors uh, outdoor activities there. Growing up in the country, um, yeah. So, but uh, obviously, a uh, cricket was a, was a big
2: part of it. And was that the natural, did you lean there naturally? Was that where you went to or did it find you? How did that work?
3: Um, yeah, look, I, I was just playing cricket in the summer and footy in the winter, basically. And, and, you know, as I said, a couple of other sports. But as I got a bit older and towards the end of my schooling, um, yeah, just probably, uh, natu- yeah, it just probably happened naturally is probably a good way to put it. I will sort of trying to decide speaking with my parents what am I going to do in life um, you know looking towards you know starting year 12 and you know what am, you know where am I heading with, with things and then all of a sudden well, probably at the end of year 11 actually you see I got got picked for Victoria and um, you know I haven't really had to Concentrate on real works probably since. Uh, to be honest with you, so uh, it's been it's been cricket for the last you know how long Well, it seems a long time ago I started now, but yeah, twenty odd, twenty three, four years or whatever I've that is now. So um, yeah, and I look like uh, as you mentioned there off the top, I look like probably staying in cricket for a little bit longer.
1: Quite um quite phenomenal. Um, you know, end of year eleven, you pick for a state side, you pick for the Vics. You know, it must have been a in, incredible thrill. Apart from obviously the ability. Is there anything else that sort of – what else did they see in you? The, the, the young Cameron White, you know, um, obviously had, had some strong ability there, which would have been noticeable. Any other attributes, you think, that um, that got you to, um, to to get picked at such a young age for the state? Uh, look at that stage, I think probably
3: just uh, – just pro- well, probably skill, I guess. Uh, I don't think they – you know, I hadn't even been to – I don't think I'd been to a Victorian state training when I got, uh, I got picked to play for, for Victoria. I played a couple of games um, for Nong in the, in the seconds in the, in the, and then a couple in the first. And then uh, in the, that was in the premier competition where I started sort of my career in Melbourne and then, and then quickly sort of, you know, you know basically the first time I went to training when I was going to get picked uh, to play for Victoria pretty much. So,
2: yeah, they probably didn't know me too well. So it's just, you know, whatever I brought to the table as a, as a player. And do you think, Bear, that, you know, obviously playing when you're 17, four years later, you're the captain of Victorian cricket, the youngest captain in Victoria's history. Uh, At the time, I remember it being big news, and the late, great David Hooks, who was the coach at the time, made it very well known that he felt you could captain Australia, and the earlier you got into that role, the better it was going to be. What sort of things, I guess, do you you think that, you know, because clearly you couldn't say he saw my captaincy talent because you you basically hadn't had that history. What was it that you think David Hooks saw in you that uh, expedited or fast tracked your uh, captaincy or leadership role with the, with the state cricket team?
3: Yeah. Well, one thing I did do through my junior cricket and basically any team from about the age of 14 onwards that I played in, people just made me captain, I guess uh, <laughs> they thought I had some idea about, uh, you know, what I was, what I was doing, not just obviously batting and bowling, but how the game sort of worked. And um you know, uh, and all the all the things that go with that. I guess, like you know, bowling changes, where to put the fielders. You know, and as you mentioned there before, batting orders, and and then eventually later on in my career, probably learn how learn about how to how to manage people. But that was the that was the thing. It was a very much a work in progress um, from the start, and I made uh, geez, I made a thousand mistakes early on, especially in that department. But I guess saw me as having a good understanding for the game, and I. For whatever reason, that sort of just came natural to me out in the middle, um, you know, the tactical side of cricket, you know, and all those things I just sort of talked, you know, spoke about um, where I had to learn sort of on the run and, and you know, to be honest with you, I was pretty ordinary out initially um, and didn't have much idea at all about, you know, all the other things that come with captaincy and leadership about, you know, managing people, managing squads, egos, managing up and down your staff, um, you know, the people in the office, yeah, you know, all the stuff that comes with you know being a leader, you know, of my of my state at that sort of stage. Uh, stage, um, yeah, that was the stuff I really had to learn on the run about. Lucky I had really good support. Obviously, Hooksy and uh, still the master coach, Greg Shippard, um, You know, was the, was the assistant coach at the time. Then when Hooksy was involved, I think that's probably the ultimate coaching duo I've ever been involved with. So uh, I was probably very lucky to have you know super coaches around me at the t- at the time when I. Uh, when Hooksy sort of gave me the captaincy there at at the start. So I was pretty lucky in a lot of respects, but um, also, you know, I guess that I sort of naturally could do it out in the middle middle pretty well. So as I said, I had to learn about all the other stuff
1: pretty quickly. It's interesting, Cam. It's um, fascinating stories. And you've just touched on so much then, that little piece and the managing people, the tactics, the learnings. I think that's, um, for our listeners, it's something that we Rick and I continually try and zoom in on, and, you know, these key learnings that once one goes through, especially at such a young age, just a phenomenal achievement at such a young age to achieve so much. And I think that's what I was getting to before is, is about that people have obviously seen a bit in you as a young, as a young guy and, and seeing some attributes there. I want to, I want to switch to these learnings though. And if you were to identify, you know, one or two of, of, of key things that, that came up because um because what I want to move to in a a moment is, is around young people and maturity and, and how you go around, you know, certainly coaching that in, but your, your learnings like right off the bat, if you were to, if you were to look back at, you know, one or two of the key things that you might've been stuff ups and, you know, what, what sort of, what are things that stand out way back then?
3: Oh, probably simply just how you talk to people really. Um, you know, I think, uh, Growing up, sort of, you know, in the late sort of, sort of in the 90s, and you know, playing cricket in, you know, as a, as a schoolboy, really, in senior men's team, there was still the, you know, the old-fashioned sprays were going on, and, um, you know, talking, swearing, and you know, things like that. But very quickly, I, you know, and very, and it's even more prevalent today, I think. Like you just can't be too aggressive with people. And I think as a, as a younger captain, when I was frustrated or or I didn't have a good understanding of someone's personality or a certain situation, I would probably just be a little bit too aggressive with some people. And, and maybe with some people that actually worked. but you know, you mentioned younger, you know, the younger sort of guys coming into the team there I was probably just a little bit too, too harsh sometimes. So you, that's probably not, you know, an environment you want to sort of um, you know, breed or you know, I'm not sure what the word is there, whatever you want to call it, sort of, you know, provide to, to younger players or, or anyone really. So, yeah, probably just the way you sort of speak to people. Um, as I've got older, just learning to use the right tone when you when you're speaking, um, and I, yeah, and just and just generally just managing people. Like when I first probably you know started as captain of Victoria, I was you know there was blokes like you know Brad Hodge and Matthew Elliott and Shane Howard and Nick Lewis, these bloody rough bloody blokes from Heidelberg and uh, Ballarat, and uh, you know Hodge was a you know already pretty much a state legend by then, so you know, people like Andrew McDonald, who's now assistant coach of Australia. So I had a, and even Warney would float in for a few games and that was another sort of handful altogether, I guess. So these are some of the things that I sort of, you know, was thrown my way. So as I said, I had to, when I said I had to uh, learn quickly, I, I mean, pretty. Yeah, hard. I mean,
2: there was no mental giants amongst any of that that you just mentioned. None of those would really trouble the scorers <laughs> with IQ. But I could imagine everything you learned about dealing with emotions and egos and things of that nature with that wide group that you just talked about. Brad Hodge, of course, someone who, like you, started wide at a very young age and you know was was you know reeling off and peeling off runs at a, an amazing clip. And you have got to wonder where his Test career would have gone had he been born in a slightly different time. Um, But I would have thought everything you learned with all those other guys you just mentioned would have been uh, just giving you half of what you need to manage Warnie. But let's not go there because I would have thought that would (laughs) be a real challenge. But I think Pete's point, you know, that we what we try and give our listeners is, you know, certain hacks and life hacks and leadership hacks. And, you know, when you are dealing with some of those players you just mentioned there have got every right to go, oh, hang on champ I mean you haven't even established your place on the side and you're going to start giving me direction did you find them collaborative did you find that that you could work with them or did you did you have to develop a bit of inner fortitude to you know maybe you make sure that they got aligned with what you're trying to do with the rest of the team
3: yeah as I sort of touched on earlier I think they had my respect uh, uh and I had theirs from an out on the field point of view I think they thought that I knew what I was doing out on the field and so from that point of view I you know that was kind of like the easy part for me, like the day to day between 10 o'clock and five o'clock when you're out in the middle, you know, batting bowling and, you know, bowling changes and you know, how many slips are we going to have today or who's bowling next? All that sort of thing. That was the sort of thing that sort of cat, you know, came pretty naturally to me. So, and therefore, I think even those senior guys sort of seem to think, oh, this guy actually might know what he's doing. So it sort of made my life easier. It was just probably, you know, after hours and uh, dealing, you know, during the week at training and things where, you know, you just have, you know, you you make mistakes or you have ego clashes and, you know, people, you know, might want your job or something (laughs) like that. So you're dealing with all those sorts of things. So, no, so from from that point of view, out in the middle and things like that and a respect point of view, it didn't, it wasn't too bad actually.
1: How do you go, how do you go with the pressure? There's so many people that have got the skill um, and I'm talking right across a, a wide range of sports, Obviously, team sports where they've they've got the skill, they're one of the best players in the team, which clearly you were. And then they get handed a captaincy, and then things either go fantastic or things go horribly south. Um, For you, it was the uh, it was the former. Um, How do you how do you take on those pressures, and how did that did that change you as a person, as 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 a player? Um, How did you deal with that sort of stuff? I was probably a bit lucky that I was just a bit of a naive country kid from,
3: from Bensdale. And initially I didn't sort of, you know, as a younger bloke, didn't feel the pressure as much. And as I said, that the on-field captaincy was probably the, came pretty easy to me. Um, it was probably only later on in my career when you sort of really do get a good grasp on, you know, pressures and, um, you know, and your ebbs and flows of, of performance um, that you sort of start to, you know, spend probably a bit more, you know, mental time or mental energy on those sort of things. So, eventually when i you know stopped being captain you know probably in my early 30s i actually played probably the best uh, best cricket of my life then probably because i'd been captain for so long from an early point of view it was probably it just freed me up a bit and just i could really concentrate on my own game but um, which was sort of like an interesting point of view so people often ask me through my career did you, you know do you think captaincy sort of hurt my performance and i always said no but then you sort of get to the end of your career and you sort of think oh maybe if i I had enough captain, you know, as much. I might have been a little bit, you know, a little bit better player. So, uh, not that I changed any of that sort of stuff, of course. But um, it's often sort of something you think about when you get to
2: the, you know, the back end of your career. And you went through the traditional development pathway programs as a player, the Victorian sort of state-based, you know, under you know sixteens and nine, you know, all that sort of uh, stuff through to your first-class sort of development. Then when you went through your first-class career, you went through the traditional launch into the Australian cricket team, i.e., you know, one day sides for uh, Victoria, then one day sides for... uh, And you did a bit of Australia A stuff and things of that nature. Was there a time when you thought... Yeah, actually, I think I do belong at this level or you're a bit like Mike Hussey, who sort of said it probably took to his second or third last innings before he realised he probably belonged and then he, he peaked and gone. What, when did it sort of hit you that your talent was good enough and maybe that he did have a skill set that was going to stand up under the rigours of international first class and or dare I say test cricket?
3: Oh, look, when you, when you perform, I think uh, when any young person comes into, I don't think it's just a cricket side or could be footy or anything. I, I don't think you honestly think you you belong until you actually, you know, you probably earn the respect of your teammates through performance really. So um, it wasn't until, you know, you start putting some performances on the board, whether it's, you know, state, state cricket, and then you sort of start to feel a bit comfortable and then uh, so on and so on. You, you know, you get your opportunity to play for Australia and you, and you think, oh, geez, I'm out of my depth here. But, you know you try your best and you eventually do you know you either do well or you succeed and I was lucky to you know play well enough to be then think geez I'm you know I'm a part of this now and I feel comfortable I can you know probably my resting heart rate would get from 160 <laughs> back down to somewhere somewhere normal and you start to you know probably give yourself every you know a bit more of a chance to play well consistently after you sort of you know you do feel a bit more comfortable but um, I think it's just it's that's another interesting thing You know, you never really feel comfortable as a you, know, you can say when a young kid comes into the team at oh, you know, you belong here, mate. You know, come on, champ, yeah, have a good day today, you know, relax and play. But you, you never really do until you actually, you know, put a performance on the board and feel part of it, I don't think.
1: Really good point. Cam, um, just in, in terms of what I'm really fascinated about is is you play you played cricket all, all through your twenties, from twenty to thirty, and the maturity level would have changed dramatically um into for yourself um through those times and, and the people you coached. Um, you would have coached, you know, like you talk about the warnings and, you know, different parts of his career versus the guy who's just started. So you, you're dealing with a different amount of personality, fair, fair variety of personality in there as well. Just from a maturity point of view, though, um, what were some of the things that you, how you would coach and captain the younger brigade, what are the things you'd focus on versus what you would do for probably those that are a bit older in the, in the team?
3: Yeah, I think from a younger point of view, you might, you know, these days it's a bit more, you know, you're probably putting a bit more structure in, you're probably giving them a bit more, I don't know about if you want to use coaching or, you know, you just trying to guide them in the right direction a bit more. I know even with my involvement at the Melbourne Career Club now, you know, captain and, you know, I think I'm, I must be double the age of the next the next oldest bloke, just about, I think, down, down there. So <laughs> I'm dealing with a pretty young sort of, you know, most, some of them are, you know, 16, 17 to about, you know, probably average age is only just over 20. So, I'm trying to keep them relaxed and encourage them to, you know, play with a fair bit of freedom, but at the same time, um, try to use the right language and uh, put some structures in place to, for them to play well. But, and then, you know, flipping to a more, you know, I'm thinking now towards the end of my career playing for Victoria when we had, you know, a pretty, a pretty bloody good side with senior players, it would be more about just trying to, you know, get people to, you know, enjoy themselves and create a good environment, not too much structure, um you know let the players sort of do not you know what they want almost to an extent because you know you know you're dealing with seasoned uh experienced sort of you know athletes really so they know what they're doing i don't think they really appreciate at that age being told what to do too much so um yes yeah, i guess it's just you know reading the the you know the group or the players that you're dealing with and and trying to adjust your you know or put your little sort of style on or you know, however, whatever you want to call, it, guide them in the right direction, or you know, whatever it is. But yeah, you know, just trying to adjust your sort of your
2: settings to each group. And I think, Pete, I can actually sum it up for you because uh, the guys that uh, do play with Cam, whether it be at Melbourne or at the Renegades, his time there, have told me quite uh, clearly that what what Whitey's great uh, gift is, he just simplifies it. And he takes the complex and makes it very simple. And as sports people, they don't want too much going on inside their head. And in fact, what what Cam White's very good at doing is allowing them to get out of their head and play their game and let their talents shine. And they've been picked for a reason. They're playing in the team for a reason. Uh, You know, here's the framework. And he changes the the pre-frame. To then help them play the best game with the young kids and then with the experienced ones, I think, as you said they're there, Bear, it's not a case of telling them what to do. It's actually just giving them the right environment for what they do to shine and come through. And I think that's the the message mm. I heard there, Pete. Just to give you a bit of context, he's probably too proud to say that himself and too too humble.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's great. I, I, I'm just I just love hearing the story and 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 how it relates to business and sport. Um, are so. Interlinked, and I think what, what we find now in a, in a lot of teams, um, in a business sense, is they avoid structure, and when they avoid structure, you get laissez-faire, which is everyone running off and doing whatever they want to do, and it ends up um, not being um, not you know the trajectory of performance is just not there. So that structure is important, but and then you then you look at the older ones who have been there a bit longer, and it's about just making sure that that environment. Um, Remains welcoming. I, I I just love hearing that yeah. and that that crossover there. Yeah, I've got
3: a sort of sort of jump in uh, the interesting point about dealing with like uh, younger guys, and especially. I've done a little bit of work with you know under seventeens, under 19s and even as I touched on, even with the side I'm involved with at Melbourne Career Club, it's it's interesting how you use language. Like, so let's say, say for uh, Melbourne Career Club, where we're struggling with our batting, and I would say like, come on boys, be be a little bit, just a little bit more aggressive, and then next thing we'd, you know, they'll be out there trying to slog and hit every ball for, for six sort of thing. And I'm like, geez, I've cho- I've chosen the, word, the wrong words there, you know what I mean? That's just, or, you know, on the flip side, it might be, you know, we're going, we're, we're probably playing a few too many shots and, you know, you say, like, just rein it in a bit and next thing, like, you face 40 overs and you're only 120 runs sort of thing. So the language you use, especially to young players, is, uh, you know, is vital, really. Sometimes, you know, speaking and... You know, he's actually the wrong thing to do. Sometimes, you know, you've just got to work, let them work it out themselves as well. So that's probably the, the bit of my start of my coaching sort of career I'm going through now is just about what language and when you actually use it um, and how do people interpret it really is the, is the key almost.
2: Well, I think one of our favourite sayings, Pete, is the limits of my language is the limits of my world. But I think what, what uh, Whitey's just saying there is the limits of your language is the limits of your leadership. You've got to make sure that you're actually, you know, communicating what you want, uh, obviously not what you don't want. And, uh, you know, sports people are... Let's be honest, Bear, they're pretty simple people. Let's be honest, let's just give them the right I'm environment sure. to get out there and shine. And if we can do that, uh, I think a lot can be sort of learned in the business world that we deal in every day about making sure that routine sets you free. So you've got a routine and a structure that allows you to arrive at your time of performance with the best chance to perform. And then realistically, it's over to the individuals to you know pretty much perform. Speaking of that, you obviously had you know a stellar sort of entry into Victorian cricket you were coached incredibly and we'll touch on that uh, as we wrap up uh, at the back end of the interview on your current coaching career and how much you've taken from Shippy and you know clearly you know the coaches you've been around uh you got the call for Australia that would have been obviously I'm not too sure if it was a boyhood dream the way that cricket sort of you fell into it to a degree but uh, do you remember that moment when you got the call to say uh, you're now selected
3: I do and it was a bit of a unique series actually it was uh it was one of the first. Uh, I debuted in the World Eleven Series. So I was Australia versus the rest of the world at at the now. What are we now? It was at Marvel Stadium or whatever, we're calling Docklands sort of thing? And I yes. was the I was the super sub. So I don't know if you can really call that a you know traditional de- debut, but yeah. So I guess they, they might have been ahead of their time then, because as we see now in the Big Bash, there is uh, you know we have subs and all th- all sorts of things going on. So yeah, I was the super sub in the in the inaugural Australia versus the rest of the world. It, at Dockland, so uh, the late Dean Jones uh, presented my cap, uh, my one-day cap, which was uh, obviously, as you mentioned, there was a, a very uh, proud moment, and uh, not, not just for me, for my parents as well. You know, they put in a lot of time and effort to drive me, you know, a couple of times a week at least from, from from Bensdale to Melbourne, you know, during from sort of 14 to 18. So it was a huge effort for for them as well. So yeah, it's probably more of a recognition for my parents more than more than anything.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, interesting. I get. I get a bit tired driving my kids five minutes to school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is tremendous. And, and Cam, I've got to say, it's it's uh, it's absolutely awesome to hear you say that about your folks. And and um, you know, so many sports people just owe so much to their parents, don't they? No, yeah. and, uh, and the sacrifices and and efforts that they put in it just. Just tremendous. So uh big sing out to all the uh all the parents of, of great sporting folk out there as well. So
2: and, and even those people that are vicariously living through their kids' sports, but unless I go there, it's not the kind of show.
1: <laughs> no, no. Can can I just can I just jump ahead? I, I, I just I really want to know what the most memorable part of your career's been. Yeah. Um and 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 can we also talk about probably the um the worst moment? Um, as well but let, let's start with the best but I'd, um, what are the things that stand out because it's um, you know it, it's always uh, it's always a, a very intriguing uh, question to ask. Uh, look I probably the, I've got a few best moments and they all evolve
3: around winning you'll be surprised to, to hear I guess <laughs> anytime you you win stuff I, I really enjoy like that's that's what we play for yeah it's great to make you know hundreds and get wickets and all that sort of stuff but the, the things I remember most are, you know you know don't, don't get me wrong, you know, getting your, your first Australian cap and you know your baggy green, they they are personal highlights, not no question. But the things I you know I loved about playing the game was you know winning Sheffield Shields, playing for Victoria, um, you know, the celebrations in the rooms afterwards, um, you know, big games that I've played in for Australia, where it's you know you've you've played and you fought hard and you've won. I guess you know it sounds a bit boring, but yeah, just those those games that you are. Uh, you you win Sheffield Shield um, games. Uh, I remember Champions Trophy final in um, in uh, South Africa when I played in for Australia. Um,
2: yeah, they're are the times that I remember and they're the they're, they're the highlights. I reckon. You glossed over your your innings in the Champions uh, League final. That was you know Australia had collapsed and you came in and showed maturity beyond your years. And if you didn't make that innings there, it's fair to say we don't win that tournament. Is that is that a fair assessment? Do you think? Well, I was gonna I was.
3: I was going to add in to those big games. If you do, if you do well in them, personally, that also helps in the uh, in the memory. So that that game uh, in particular, yeah, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're two for two when I walked out, and, and the great Ricky Ponting was out. So I guess uh, anytime you do well in games like that, when you are, you know, your captain and gun leader, best batsman in the world is out, and then you sort of step up to the play. That was, you know, it's satisfying because that's what you work you work hard for. So and we talked about earning the respect of your teammates and things like that. That's that's a good way to, to do it.
2: I would have thought so. So does it? So is it the Champions League trumping BBL 08 that you won with the Renegades, <laughs> beating your former club, the Stars, from a position of? Uh, did you guys win it, or did the Stars snatch an no, absolute? No, it doesn't matter. Of, yeah, it doesn't. Well, uh, all I know is it says you won. So yeah, exactly. Uh, was that one of the most amazing games you've ever played?
3: Yeah, that was that was a bit of personal satisfaction there going on as well, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, but that was uh, you know one of those games where you're playing it and you just you're thinking, geez, we uh, you know we've stuffed this right up, and then um, yeah you know, you're down the dumps, you're kicking cans, and then that that happened. That game happened so quickly, it felt like within 25 minutes it's like oh we can't we can't lose this. What have they done? <laughs>
2: so and yeah,
3: it, that went that, a, that went quickly.
2: That was an amazing game, but. Um, was it you or Dan Christian that really won that? I mean, there's a bit of uh, legendary banter between you and Christo. Do you want to share any of that here, or do we leave that for another time?
3: Oh, I think that was all up to Dan Christian that that game, but um, uh, he, you know, smacked a few at the end to get us to a, you know, what was a pretty ordinary total. I think it was only 135, 140, and then he obviously bowled pretty well there at the end. I think I just personally chimed in because Dan bowled the last ball of the. Uh, of the match and, um, you know, we've been great mates for a while. So we had it pretty much teed up that no matter where that ball was going, we were going to celebrate pretty hard before.
2: <laughs> Lucky you didn't get hit in my direction, actually. I don't think I was even looking at the batsman. I was just running it down. Well, the fact that they needed 14 off the last ball probably suggested you were pretty safe. I think that uh, we could have started the celebrations uh, long and hard there. And as Pete alluded to, the highs are easy to go to. We always remember them. They are what team sport's all about. Just that moment, if you can bottle that moment where you can embrace your teammates and get in the rooms and really celebrate, that's amazing. Are there any of the challenging ones that stick out as being ones that you don't even like revisiting as the hair's on the back of your neck now, not standing up but actually being depressed by even thinking about any of those scenarios?
3: <laughs> oh, look, I think uh, probably the de- you know, the, the worst ones are the ones that probably stick in your memory the most. And and one thing we haven't touched on yet is the mental side of the game. I think, you know, looking back at my career, it's probably something I didn't give enough, uh, uh, time to really, um, always focused, focused on my physical skills. So, which alludes, you know, to my point about probably my toughest time in my career, I guess you could say is when I actually played for Australia in test matches in, you know, the hardest place in the world to play cricket as a, as an Aussie in India. So it was an interesting time in my life. I'd sort of, I got picked as a bowler, um, and that stage, uh, in the lead up to you know, getting picked to play for Australia, I was starting to lose a fair bit of confidence in my bowling, which just at the time, at the at the time, coincided with getting picked to play for Australia as a bowler. So I thought um, it was going to be a pretty big challenge for me before I even got on the plane, to be honest. But but anyway, you can't say no to these sort of opportunities, can you? But look, I um I competed pretty hard for three Test matches, and then I did. In my fourth and uh, and last test match that I played for Australia, I lost. You know, I bowled a couple of ba- really bad balls, like shocking balls, and from that, I just lost. You know, all confidence in my, you know, in my bowling. So I was probably just very lucky at the time that I, my batting was probably, you know, going in the right direction, whereas my bowling was was sliding down and and the confidence in my in my skills there. So, you know, that's probably a moment when I, um, you know, it was probably the toughest for me, and that was probably a lot of it was, was to do with you know the mental side of my game and. Um yeah, and and just losing losing confidence in my in my skill as a bowler, sort of thing. So when you're out in the middle playing test cricket, bowling to such and it's probably not a good place to, for that to happen. No, not
2: bowling.
1: Do, how do you reckon that how do you reckon that happened, Cam? Like um clearly, clearly it wasn't skill because you'd proved it time and time and time and time again that you, you had the skill. So clearly the the mental demons sort of come in. Can you can you pinpoint anything in particular that sort of happened that where it all sort of stemmed from? Um Oh, nothing in particular.
3: I thought I think it was probably more of a gradual thing. I think I tinkered with my bowling action for well, pretty much since I was a you know since I started playing cricket for Victoria. Lots of people have given me plenty of advice on you've got to do this or you should bowl a bit more like Shane Warne or you've got to bowl like Anil Kumble or you've got to do this. And so I'd been tinkering around and probably just through a bit of natural progression, I started to sort of you know just. You know, just lose a bit of confidence, not bowlers, what I would have liked. And then for, and there, therefore, sometimes in the heat of battle, we'll just bowl a couple of, you know, really ordinary balls. And then that really affected me mentally, sort of thing. So, and as I said, that sort of just coincided with getting picked to play for Australia, which wasn't good timing. So, um, and then to bowl, you know, a couple of bad balls on the world stage, you know, in front of that audience is, um, you know, it took me, geez, I never really got back to, you know, it took me a good couple of years after playing for Australia to have any sort of confidence in my bowling again. even, you know, at state
2: level playing, you know, with three men and their dog watching at the MCG. And I think it's a case, Pete, where golfers talk about the yips with their putting. It's not one thing they yep. can actually isolate it's sort of something that just gradually builds up and then a bit of doubt creeps in and so in the gaps between the thinking and the execution there's a moment of doubt and that doubt's going to the negative and whatever we feed sort of you know obviously grows and it's fair to say Cam you then threw yourself back into leadership uh, when you got back to Victoria back into batting you know and the tactical side of the game although how much did playing one day's T20s you know when you're T20 captain of Australia how much of that reinvigorated your love for just getting back into playing the game not not necessarily the bowling but getting back to the strategy stuff which you seem to be you know thriving with at that time specifically
3: yeah well, i guess i was lucky that i was uh, good enough as a batsman and as a captain to you know retain my so- my place in you know all the sides I actually I played my best for Australia soon after that, when I just knew I wasn't, I didn't have to worry about bowling. Cause I just knew I wasn't going to bowl anymore. So I didn't get really get nervous before a game. Um, I could just purely concentrating on, you know, batting and playing my role in the team sort of thing. So I actually really enjoyed my, my cricket after that. I probably the, you know, I was in a really good place and, you know, I didn't have the stresses of worry about Jesus. Am I going to, am I going to miss the pitch today? Or am I do I know where the ball's going? You know, sort of thing. So that was, <laughs> that wasn't that enjoyable. I can give you the tip, but um yeah, I was just lucky that I had those other skills to fall back on and continue on my, you know, my cricketing career.
2: And you were known for bombing long balls, you know, a big hitter and all that sort of stuff. I don't think you get enough credit for bringing back the late block to the modern game, which is, <laughs> to this day and age, why it's always attributed to ab de b is do you feel a little bit, you know, Dare I say a bit sort of disrespected there, knowing that it was really you who bought that back.
3: <laughs> no, I can't steal it off AB. I think I stole that off AB to Billy's actually. Oh, uh, did I? okay. Yeah, that was uh, you know I guess throughout any sort of career, you're looking for tips and uh, you know off your you know always thought if I'm going to take advice from anyone, I might as well go to the best. So all the podcasts and all the things and YouTube clips I look at of you know, the best players from around the world sort of thing. So at that stage of my career, I, I loved and still do to this day, love A.B. Villiers and how good he is. So I, he's got some little YouTube videos, which I stole off him, you know, you know, 10 years ago when he put them up and put that into practice for my game and it, and it worked beautifully. So, yeah, it's handy. <laughs> That's-
2: and there's a freak. If ever you saw a freak across multiple talented mm-hmm. sports, what, a, what an absolute superstar. He could have, what, could have yeah. been a golfer, could have been a bloody tennis player, could have been just about anything. Why could not he? Couldn't he?
3: That's right. I often think the absolute freaks of their of their sport or whatever. They don't have to worry about the mental side of the game because they're just that good. They def- they never if they have a bad day. It's such a rarity sort of thing. So they, you know, the mental side of it never really comes into it. Which is, as we know, that's probably absolute pulled us. But anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, um, again, this has been absolutely awesome. As we um as we wind up now, because you've been so uh, incredibly. Uh, Kind with your time and some of the insights, it's just wonderful to get inside your mind from... um, And what you've done for cricket has been phenomenal. And, um, you know, especially, you know, well and truly Australian cricket, but Victorian cricket in particular um, owe you so much. If you were going to pick your cricket team now, and these are players you've played with, who are the first three players... Let's go maybe with a um, with a, a batter, a bowler, and a, and an all-rounder. Who are the um, who are the best people that you've seen or played with your era? Uh,
3: you want just Victorians or are we talking world world, world no, worldwide? No, no.
1: worldwide. Oh Jesus. Uh, no one
3: ever likes facing fast bowlers. So no matter who, no matter how much you know bluffing they can say. So we'll just go with the fastest I ever face, Shaw Back up. He's got to be one. Um Ricky Pop- Was that was it just on him? You know, we talking scary, like uh, what was your heart rate doing then? <laughs> uh, thank God I was young when I, you know, I was facing him because I would have been absolutely crapping myself these days when I got a bit older and wised up to how fast people sort of bowl. So thank God I was young. Yeah. My heart rate would have been high. That's for sure. Um, actually, there's a bloke that play, I played has now played a fair bit for Australia that I, uh, which might surprise you. Uh, James Pattinson would be one of the three, believe it or not, I, I think. Um, just because he's an absolute animal and uh, just drags everyone along, um, you know, for the ride with, you know, not so much via words or anything, just the way he sort of plays the game. So he would be the other and Ricky Ponting would probably be, you know, be up there. So I know I'm giving uh, James Pattinson a bit of a pump up there, but I, I guess when you said that, I, um, you know, I quickly jumped to, um, you know, he jumped into my mind because I was thinking more from the Victorian point of view. But, yeah, anyway, there's three for you. We'll probably miss A.B., Avelius, Jax, Callis, and, you know, if you're at Cole, you're probably special matches.
2: Well, I mean, knowing yeah. Pado as we all would, uh, I suggest he's on pretty good terms with himself. So he expects to be in that company. Why did he expect to be in that company? No doubt about it. And just at what stage did you obviously know, as your career was coming to an end, that cap- – captaincy would turn to coaching. You're obviously there now. You talked about the influences with Shippy, and, you know, that that kind of, I mean, such a not in the cricket world, but outside world. When people talk about coaching, they talk about Craig Bellamy, you know, with uh, Melbourne Storm and Outstanding and there's lots of AFL coaches. Uh, I, I, I think Greg Shippard just does not get anywhere near the sort of recognition he deserves for the sort of length of longevity and his messaging and his ability to keep adapting to the change of game. You know, the coach Victoria through that Helsing period, were coming in after Hooksy, you know, a BBL winning coach as well. He's really just changed his game, hasn't he? What when did so? I guess my question is, when did you sort of make the decision? Yeah, um, game's coming to an end, so I, I think I could, you know, still add some value as a coach. And how much of you know, Cameron White, the coach, is wrapped up with uh, repackaging of some of the lessons and fundamentals learned from coaches like Greg Shippard? Yeah,
3: I guess one of the one of the bonuses about playing for so long and in all different parts of the world, you know, whether it be for Australia, Victoria, IPL, county cricket, I've got to experience. You know, I'd hate to think how many coaches over my career. Some of them completely hopeless. Some of the worst I've ever seen in my life, and others like Shippy and Hooksy and Andrew McDonald recently that are just you know gurus in their in their you know, their field sort of thing. So I guess I'm very lucky to be able to take very small bits of all the coaches I've seen across my career and and try and learn from that and and then put them into what my cricket coaching package is or will look like or hopefully does. So um but yeah you mentioned shippy there, you know, and and you're, you're spot on. Um underestimated under you know uh you know, recognized in, a, in Australian cricketing. We're talking about Chippy, you know, coaching, you know, late 80s of you know, early 90s down in Tasmania and he never wanted to win the toss and bat first because he was worried about losing early wickets. And then, you know, 40 years later or 30 years later, he's, he's winning BBL trophies where it's just, you know, everyone's hitting fours and sixes. So talk about um, evolving as a coach and as a, you know, and, he, and with his own style. So that just gives you, a, you know, a one-minute snapshot of what you're sort of dealing with with, uh,
2: with a master coach. Mm. and so you think is the long game do you see yourself coaching at the absolute highest level do you are you open to wherever it takes you is it so, so something you are happy to um, you know effectively stay at stay at SACA at the moment, which is South Australian Cricket Association, where, you know, your first real appointment post, post sort of playing, or is it sort of something where you'll, you'll, you may see yourself in a BBL sort of franchise yeah, or an IPL franchise. What's the end game? Or have you not thought about it that deep?
3: No, I haven't sort of set any goals or anything like that yet. Um, I've never been big into goal setting. I've sort of just, uh, oh, cliche take, you know, just gone with the flow a bit sort of thing, but uh, um and Yeah, I guess I've played cricket professionally 24-7, you know, three 365 days of the year for the best part of 20, 20 years. So I didn't want to rush into anything super full time and commit to, you know, a 12-month of the year sort of gig. So and I wanted to see if I was any good at it. I didn't know whether I'd like it or you know hate it or whatever sort of it looked like. So yeah, I've got that that small role with the south, you know, with the strikers in the BBL bits and pieces with, you know, Cricket Victoria in the underage program, Melbourne Cricket Club, I'm sort of, I'm sort of doing what Shippy does actually, just trying to have as many fingers in as many pies as you possibly can to work out what you are, what you want to do. So, um, but yeah, I'm sort of, I'm very open to where it sort of goes, you know, going forward. I think you have to be in coaching, you can't be too, you know, set in your ways or set in your mind what you want to do.
2: Well, you should be a good coach because you've been a great player. You've been a great communicator in the teams that you've communicated with. You've been a dual athlete, really, let's be honest. You've been a world-class cricketer a world-class fisherman which i don't think gives you the same credit you should be getting right across the globe uh we know you 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 back yourself in there against the very best whether that be out in the bay or suddenly down a river you're pretty you're pretty handy at fishing was fishing a bit of a an escape from the pressure of cricket was that a good mental as you were talking about earlier just that mental side of things was it a great release for you or were you competitive at fishing as you were with sort of cricket
3: it's good to see someone's actually giving you some good mail other than that stuff we talked about off, off air, but um, no, uh, look, uh, no, fishing is just something I loved and just turns out that it was just a good escape from the game as well and the pressures of it. So, and I still love my fishing to this day. And as you mentioned, uh, I'm on a family holiday, but the boat definitely came, uh, came with me up here in Narooma. So um, I've managed to sneak out and catch a few fish as well. So um, yeah, it's just, it coincided well. It I really enjoyed my fishing and it was, you know, a good thing you can do with your mates. So you know, even by yourself and get away from, you know, the mental challenges and the physical challenges of playing sport for a living.
2: Well, don't worry. I could go into the King of Sorrento and all the other great that do have. <laughs> don't don't you worry about that bear. The first one was from someone who resides in bansdale and has a kick of footy around on the an oval named after you. Um so it's I'm gonna around. give him I'm gonna give him the feedback that he got that incredibly wrong. I mean, you should never reveal your sources, but I'm into blaming them when they get it wrong. So I'll be (laughs) blaming him vigorously, but uh, no, the other stuff is, is really good. Well, yeah, from my standpoint, I hope all of our listeners have been enjoying hearing from a world-class athlete, someone who uh, interesting, we've all got a common goal for success. We just have a common way of getting there. A lot of people regimentally set their goals, analytically progress towards them. He's a guy who is just backing in his talent, being open to the opportunities, understanding that between 10 and 5 was the easiest part of his particular day as an athlete playing the game out in the out in the Oval, realising that he had to get a little bit better at his communication, connection and his motivation skills with administrators and people that he wasn't naturally aligned with. But it's fair to say, Pete, that you know, when you're found from a young age to have the leadership skills to run your state with the belief that you could one day lead the country and he's fulfilled all those things, I think he's got the right and the right to do whatever he wants to do for his goals of his time in cricket. (laughs) And and luckily for those junior cricketers coming through, you've got someone there who can take a complex game, a statistical game, a game where you found out pretty quickly uh, and it is easy to doubt your talent. Uh, that there could be a coach like Cameron White sort of giving you some feedback and allowing you to understand that, you know, if you get the routines right, you get the structure right, your talents will shine. And so I think that's what I take out of uh, this interview, Pete, your
1: learnings. Where do you start? Where do you start? There's so much. And as I said before, it's, it's wonderful to hear of, of this maturity at such a young age. But also thinking of it, just got me thinking, Cam, of all the, all the young people who have, have played under you and have, have, have gained so much. Of, um, of who you are, the knowledge and so forth. I mean, we're talking to a cricketer that's played in, in, in South Africa and some of the toughest continents in Africa and in India. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I could just imagine the hostility of crowds um, over there, not to mention in front of the MCC. <laughs> but, uh, that's, uh, that's the heavies at the MCG
3: there. are intimidating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. But I think, you know, whilst talking about the learnings and the tactics and the, and the managing of the people, the maturity, but also... I think it was great that you actually flicked this talk um, onto a bit about the mental side of things as well, because um, they do go hand in hand, and um, it is um, the pressures that we all face at, at one time or another, whether it be in business or sport, and just to hear someone with um, uh, some great insights and some great calmness that uh, that Cam White brings to the microphone. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been brilliant to listen to, Cam, so um, very much appreciated. No, no worries at all. And uh, on behalf of all of our
2: listeners and subscribers, Cam, we always appreciate uh, world-class people giving up the gift of their time, but even more so when they're on family vacation, as you are, which is uh, (laughs) something we don't take lightly for granted. If you like this interview, please make sure that you like, subscribe and share. Who's in your community who needs to hear this? If you're an up-and-coming aspiring lady, you can do uh, far worse than replay this interview and listen to it, have your journals open, take lots of notes. And uh, I'm sure we'll be... uh, aiming to get cam back hence why i haven't gone with the leading tough questions like do you always make it a conscious decision to reverse sweep from ball one against a spinner every time i'm not allowed to mention that one whitey but um it's fair to say pete we've been blessed to have some world-class olympic gold medal athletes hall of fame afl brownlow medalists in footy captains of industry but when you get someone Who just simplifies a complex game like cricket, but more importantly, Pete simplifies a complex game like leadership. It's it's a real delight to to have him. So Cam, appreciate the gift. Uh, It took us. Uh, effectively uh, about a month to get this one going, but we're so glad we did, we persisted. Uh, Obviously, thank God that uh, Melbourne did go out in week one through a pretty ordinary batting effort. Let's be really uh, truthful there, but um, uh, because it enabled us to have this interview today. So we we appreciate that. We wish you continued success in your role as a coach. And we look forward to maybe hopefully checking in with you when you catch the big one up there uh, over the next sort of few days. And we can talk <laughs> about that one next uh, next episode as well. Pete, I'll leave you to thank our guest and wrap up.
1: Yeah, thank you, Cam. Once again, it's um, an absolute pleasure to have you on. And uh, I'm sure our listeners would have got enormous amounts of... Um insight and uh and learning from that that chat that chat was fascinating it loved it absolutely loved every minute of it and uh, you go and enjoy the holiday with the <laughs> family righto lads no <laughs> and thanks for the kind words there's
3: uh doesn't sit that well for me but yeah yeah with me so yeah, but thank you thanks ken
0: we trust you enjoyed this episode of voices of value a shared conversation between rick rushton and peter kakos and their valued guests Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast provider to ensure you never miss an episode. And as always, we welcome your feedback, ratings and reviews of the content we provide. Additional information can be sourced from our website, VoicesOfValuePodcast.com. We look forward to you joining the conversation again next week when Rick and Peter continue the search for truth, justice and the value-added way.